Welcome to the podcast of Revival Life Church, a spirit-filled multicultural church in Boca Raton, Florida. If you would like more information about Revival Life Church or Pastor Carl Thomas, find us on the web at revivallifechurch.org. If not, you're still in the honeymoon phase, I get it. Time causes all wounds. Hallelujah. My name is Carl Thomas. If you're visiting us today, I am your rock star preacher for the day. The smoke comes later and the lasers will shine upon me, revealing my glory to all. Hallelujah. Wait, we're working. <laughs> I'm feeling free today. I'm sorry. Uh, we're working our way through the book of Acts and uh, we are in our current message series. Now, our current message series is a piece out of kind of our core values. Our core values we call protecting the glory. I believe you have a slide for me here, uh, Jen. Protecting the glory, and we have uh, kind of six fundamental values, five surrounding uh, your connection with Jesus, your connection with God, uh, your encounter with Jesus. And uh, today we are working our way through uh, the book of Acts. Like I said, we're in Acts chapter 6. The title of our message series is uh, uh, The Key to Greatness. The key to greatness. And this isn't about you um, being the, the head uh, of, of your business or being rich or great in the worldly sense. We're talking about how to be great in the kingdom of God. Amen? Yeah. We want to be great before Jesus. I don't want to be great before people and then get judged by God. Right? Like that's like, I want to get ready for the people who are actually going to judge me at the end. Amen. Yeah, come on, come on. You know what I'm saying? I don't care how many Instagram followers you have. It does not mean you're going to get a promotion at work. Right? It depends on what your boss thinks about you, whether or not you get a promotion, right? You can't go to work and say, but I have 2 million followers on Instagram. He's like, great, why don't you dedicate yourself to that? Because this isn't going very well, right? We give ourselves to things that don't actually pay off in the end, right? Right? We go to work and, uh, you know, hey, I'm on level 420 in this uh, video game that 19 people in the world play. Well, I don't care, you're fired, right? Like, so, so it's important... It's important that we actually focus on things that matter, right? And so the key to greatness is we want to be great in the eyes of Jesus. And the Word speaks about this a lot. And the Holy Spirit speaks a lot about this. And uh, what, uh, my, my goal today um, <clears throat> is, uh, you know, when, when, when Jesus came, watch for this, everything changed. Everything changed when Jesus came, Mike. Uh, and not only did everything change when Jesus came uh, and when he was resurrected, and when he sent the Spirit of Christ how God deals with people and how people deal with people completely changed. And too often we um, view the scriptures through a lens that does not reflect the fact that Jesus Christ has been resurrected and sent the Spirit of Christ. Um, this is not what the early church did. The early church, in their theological discussions and in their um, as a as a as a discussed how we do church, or shall we say orthopraxy, they absolutely viewed it through a new covenant lens, through a lens of the resurrected Christ and the sending of the Spirit. And I want to show you like a really really clear picture of this, so that we can have that at work in our church and in our lives. Are you good with that? Amen. All right. Uh, So Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 1, it says, now at this, I'm going to read, I'm going to read a couple verses here of the Bible, all right? I I read somewhere in the Bible that we're blessed if we do that. 
So we're just going to go ahead and read the scriptures, all right? Uh, Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Now this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, it's not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who we may put in charge of the task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The statement found approval with the whole congregation. Say whole congregation. With the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Ghost, Philip, Procurius, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. Say amen to the reading of the word. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Now, as, we, as we've been journeying through the book of Acts, we noticed that the church had some problems. And they had some warfare and they had attacks from the outside, right? They had some external enemies, right? We've talked about how people time and again were getting physically put on trial. We don't mean problems like we have today, like people aren't excited about our faith. We consider that an attack, right? Like I want to have a Bible study at work on work hours and they won't let me. The devil is attacking, you know, like, no, that is not the attack of the devil, right? The attack of the devil is they put you in front of a trial for your faith and murder you, right? That is a trial, right? They don't let your people eat or have houses. They get your family members and they put them on a stake and they cover them with oil and they light them on fire to, to, to light up their barbecue, which is what was happening to the church. Like that is an attack, right? So let's just keep things in perspective. Some people say happy holidays instead of happy Christmas. That is not an attack of the devil on the church. That is not an attack of the devil on the church. That is people who aren't saved acting like they're not saved. We don't want to teach them how to act saved. We want them to be saved. Right? I don't want you to act Christian until you are Christian. Right? All right. Well, that's not my, that's not even what I came to talk about. And so, <laughs> so they had, they, um, they, they, were, they, were, they were used to the warfare at this point, right? They were like used to it because it was life. And they found that the more warfare they experienced, the more grace they experienced, right? And so the, we see, uh, as we were looking at Acts chapter 4, they rejoiced that they were able to be uh, persecuted for Christ's sake. Uh, and they were rejoicing in the attacks, knowing that God was with them, number one. But number two, they rejoiced because people thought they looked like Jesus enough to persecute them. Like, that's a good, that's a good thing. Like, when you see him, you see me. See me, you see him. That's, that's, that's awesome. And um, so they were getting attacked by the Pharisees. They are getting attacked by the Sadducees. Just kind of for review, uh, by the Sadducees. Uh, and they were getting attacked by the Romans, of course. Uh, and, and, and as we stated earlier, the key to their power was that they were unified in the midst of all this attack. The enemy would come and try to split them. They stayed unified together and with Jesus. And because of their unity, the Holy Spirit was continually being poured out, right? Now, the, the devil is dumb, but he does learn, albeit slowly, right? And so they, uh, now the enemy um, saw that their unity had such great power. Now we see in this, this story here, they're starting to fight an internal enemy, up until now, all their enemies were external. 
People who did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. People who thought that what they were doing was ruining their political power, even if it was religious political power. Now, for the first time, we see believers causing problems in the church. Are you seeing that? And so here, what we see is we see the the native Hellenistic Jews, if you put that up, uh, we're having a problem with the, excuse me, the Hellenistic Jews with the native Hebrews. Now, let me explain who these two groups are. Now, uh, Rome had taken over the world, basically, as they knew it. Not the globe. Often when the Bible talks about the world, it's not actually talking about the big blue marble, right? It means like the world as I know it. You know, my world is falling apart does not mean that there's an earthquake happening in Boca going all the way to China, right? That's not what that means. That means my world is falling, my world. So their world had been taken over by Rome. And, uh, and at that time, the language was Greek. And so everybody spoke Greek. And now there was faithful Jews uh, in, uh, in Jerusalem who spoke Hebrew, right? Now other people, since they moved to different parts of the Roman kingdom and they lived in an area that did not speak Hebrew, they spoke Greek, right? And so they lived throughout the region in various uh, territories that spoke Greek. And since they lived there, they spoke, watch this, Greek, right? Because that's what everybody spoke. And as much as you want to hold on to your language, and I, <clears throat> I tell this to people often, the history of America is the first generation comes here and does not learn the language. <clears throat> the second generation is bilingual. The third generation may understand some. They can butcher it a little bit, right? And so you'll meet a third-generation immigrant, and they say they speak the language, but when they talk to people who actually speak the language, they say they speak it like an eight-year-old, right? They think they're fluent because that's what they speak in the house, but they're not fluent, right? Are you with me? And so this is the history of America, right? Third generation. Give them three generations for you judge them, right? Right? <clears throat> and, so, and so what we found here is... Uh, these Hellenistic Jews were the Jews who didn't speak Greek, and the native Hebrews, the ones who lived in Jerusalem, were prejudiced against them. They didn't consider them full Jews because they didn't actually speak Hebrew because they looked a little bit like the Greeks. Now, it's a, this is really an important point on how you view Scripture. We as Christians, we have a New Testament, and we are people who... We're not people of the book in the way that the Jews and the Muslims are, but we're people with a book, right? And so our book, we take it as truth. And there isn't a whole lot of gray area in the New Testament. Are you with me? Right? We can't say that, well, you Christians have one wife, but you Christians, you might have nine, right? Like we would say, no, actually, no, that's, no, the book is clear, right? Now, Judaism uh, is a religion that evolved over a couple thousand years, and, and, and Judaism was never a monolith. There never was one people doing things one way. Now, we as Christians read the Hebrew Bible, and we're like, it's very clear how you're supposed to be living, right? And we're going through all the things written to the Levites, and we say it's very clear, and we just have this picture in our mind that people are constantly, you know, once a week on the Sabbath, and they're doing the offerings, and, and this, this pharisaical uh, 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 Judaism. And, and that is not historically representative of the Hebrew culture or Jews in general. So now when you witness to somebody who might be a Jew, we go to them and we instantly say, well, where's the temple? Where's your sacrifice? <laughs> because watch this, Christianity is based on a sacrifice. Yeah. So we say, why aren't you viewing faith through our lens of faith? 
And we wonder why it's not working. Right? Remember we talked about the Sadducees were focused on the temple and the, and the Pharisees were focused on teaching and law, right? And when uh, Jesus predicted that the temple would be destroyed, and it was, who do you think died with the temple? The Sadducees by and large. Who was left? People who, who taught the law. Teachers with a rabbi and a law, not people based on the sacrifice. Are you getting this? Right? Just culturally. I'm not saying none of them. I'm just saying, by and large, the, the, the Judaism that went forth were based on having a rabbi and learning the, in the scriptures that you may or not actually follow. Does this make sense? Okay. And so <clears throat> there were, watch this, since there was more than one type, some didn't like the others and some didn't think the others were doing it correctly. You're not really a Jew because you're not talking the way we talk. You're not really a Christian because, you know, you're preaching in sneakers. <laughs> right? Like, that's a real thing, believe it or not. That's a real thing. And then some are saying, you're not really doing church because you don't have fog. Right? Like, it's, that's got to be a real thing. Right? Yeah. It's got to be a real thing these days. You know? Uh, and so every, every community divides itself. And there's prejudice. And there's, there's great prejudice here because the Hebrew uh, native, what they call the native Hebrews, the people who are already living in Jerusalem, were judging the Greek-speaking Jews who were in town. Now, we don't know exactly why they're in town, possibly for the festival or, or, or the feast, or just possibly because <clears throat> it was, they were in town, right? And so they were judging them, and um, this, 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 this move of God is happening. I need you to just kind of, this is the backdrop. This move of God is happening. The fire is falling. People are coming to faith, both native Hebrews and uh, the Hellenistic uh, Hebrews, Jews, are all coming to faith. We tend to think that a bunch of non-Jews got saved and it, from the beginning was Jews against Christians. And it's not true. These were almost all, well, they were exclusively at this point, all Jews who received Jesus as their Messiah. Right? We have to understand when we're reading this, this isn't like, you know, Romans coming to faith and the Jews hating them. Right? These are all Jews. They're all Jews. And now they have these prejudices when they, were, when they were not of Christ yet, before they were born again, and now they're bringing it into the church. Nothing grieves the Holy Spirit more than when we get our worldly prejudices and put them in the church and we codify them with religion. Right? It's just not good. So the fire of God is falling and people are coming and miracles are happening and these guys are like just holding on by the seat of their pants. Like how do we lead this thing that there's no scriptural historical basis for, right? There's just like, what do we do here? We know this is God, but we don't know. And so this whole move is about to get derailed by petty prejudice, right? And so <clears throat> they had an opportunity to build a whole new Moses system because they were the apostles and they were clearly appointed by Jesus. So they could stand on, you know, I had this encounter with the living God, I understand your opinion, but actually when I was having lunch with him, he told me this, right? So they had this whole new Moses system they could have created, right? Remember, Moses went on the mountain and he came back down. And he said, hey, God wants to be with us. And they said, no, you stay with him. We'll be here by ourselves. Just let us know what he said, right? And they could have just incorporated that and did a whole new Moses system. <clears throat> but, but he didn't. Uh, they could look at this a couple different ways. They could have looked at this as an attack of the devil, and said that the people shouldn't have a voice and we need to create a system that keeps them quiet, right? 
Or they could have said, we refuse to allow the need for power to destroy what God is doing here. Right? People felt like they were powerless and they were starting to get divisive because they felt powerless. How are you going to deal with people who feel powerless and begin to work divisive? Right? And here's something I want you to see and wait on that, Jim. Um, When you receive breakthrough, and we pray for breakthrough all the time and we see it all the time in lives, big and small, right? When you receive breakthrough, we start to get this image that the breakthrough that we got will eliminate the warfare. But the breakthrough you get is now that you've received ability to overcome the warfare. Right? And you don't actually um, have breakthrough until you begin to operate in that new ability to overcome the warfare. Breakthrough doesn't mean it went away. Breakthrough means now I have authority over it. Right? Are you with me? Thank you. Yeah. That's, so we have to remember that. So <clears throat> when you have real breakthrough, I want you to see this. Your greatest temptation, <laughs> your greatest temptation will show itself so you can see what's in your heart. Because the real breakthrough happens in your heart. Right? So you have a temptation and you pray, Lord, help me. And you felt like you got breakthrough and it shows up again. You're like, oh, I thought it went away. No, 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 no. It came back so you can see if that still is a temptation in your heart. Does this make sense? And so God allows it to come back again now as a victor. As a victor, all right? I'm going somewhere with this. <clears throat> he brings it up so you can give it the final death blow. And say, I'm not that boy that I used to be when you bullied me on the playground. Now I'm a man filled with the Spirit of Christ, and you don't have authority. Thanks for coming around so I can just let you know. I'm not, I'm not worried about you no more. Right? It was like Duke in the testimony there. Oh, he's not actually worried about you. I'm not worried about you at all. Now you and I both know that. I wasn't sure before I walked over here, but now it is clearly evident to both me and to you that I don't fear you. This makes sense. This makes sense. Yeah. So the enemy brings it back around, right? God allows him to bring it back around so you can show it that it's been defeated, right? And so here's this Moses system that I don't believe was ever God's original intent as we look at that encounter on the mountain, right? But God worked with man because he's, very good. And so here it is. It can come back around again. New Moses system. Props itself up. And the disciples say, no, we're killing that once and for all. Right? What are we going to do? We're not going to be Moses. Not, not putting down Moses. I mean, as the type of a um, hierarchical church system. That's, so I'm using Moses as a type of a hierarchical church system. I, I don't judge Moses because he accomplished more than me. Right? So, um, <clears throat> right? 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 I've written none of the Bible. <laughs> He's written a lot of it, right? <clears throat> and, and so, <laughs> so they decide, <clears throat> we know how to get at this devil. Uh, these people who feel, fear powerlessness, we'll just give them power <clears throat> and responsibility. <clears throat> now watch this. James 3.16 says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil Thing. If you've ever been chart part of a church leadership that looked like this scripture, you were not crazy to think this is wrong, right? If you're in a relationship that just lived off of jealousy and selfish ambition, you're like, this is wrong. Amen. I'm here to validate your feelings. 
It was not God. <clears throat> Verse 17, wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. That's how you know Holy Spirit is moving. People have disagreements and you just are able to come to peace. Where you can't, you know the other is at work. Does that make sense? <clears throat> remember Jesus in the desert? You remember him, right? Got baptized, went into the desert. Who showed up? The devil. And what did he do? He asked Jesus. He tempted him with the desires of Jesus' heart. He says, are you willing to follow me to get this done? And Jesus said, no, I'm only going to follow my father. That temptation, he was able to put the death blow in it in the desert. Are, are, does that make sense? The, the contest the enemy was having with Jesus was, who will be the greatest? Who's going to be the greatest? The temptation of the enemy or the plan of God? Who is going to be the greatest? <clears throat> and Jesus answered that. Holy camoly, that clock is moving fast. <clears throat> so Jesus, <clears throat> the enemy wanted Jesus to be in bondage. The enemy wanted the apostles to start lording over the people. Right? Oh, you guys are fighting? Don't you understand you're ruining the work of God? You know, do you know what happened to Ananias and Sapphira? We could kill you all for this fighting. But then remember the words of Jesus, right? Mark chapter 10 is not to be this way among you. Whoever wants to become great among you shall be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. The call to greatness is the call to serve. Amen? The call to greatness is the call to serve. Now, serving is a heart issue. <clears throat> Serving is a heart issue. Who is supposed to be served? Are you supposed to be serving me because I'm amazing? Or am I supposed to serve you? Now, if I serve you, this world says, you're more amazing than I am and I lose value. Jesus said, you are not going to get wrapped up in that trap, right? <clears throat> we see uh, um, Matthew 9, 36. It says time and again, <clears throat> actually, before we go there, Serving is a hard issue. Let, let me just, let me just I, I, I wasn't sure if I was going to go down this road, but I'm going to. So many times I see people who are praying, Lord, where can I get used in the church? God, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. Where do you want me? And someone will come up to them and say, hey, I was really thinking about you in, the, in a position that we have available. And you're like, awesome. What is it? We need an usher. And they'll say, watch this. Let me pray about it. <laughs> We need someone in children's ministry, and I think you could be really good. Ooh, let me pray about it. And I've always wondered, <clears throat> what does that prayer time look like? <clears throat> oh, Lord Jesus, you know I'm amazing. You know I'm far above these other crumbs. Do you think I should so humble myself to serve children? Clearly, clearly I'm far beyond and above that at this point. What does that prayer time look like? And what does God say in reverse? What, what do people hear from God? Because often when I'll pray about it, you rarely see them again because that's, that's the Christian no, right? <clears throat> no. No, right? <clears throat> what, what do they think God says in reverse? Well, you know, I did 
take off divinity, to come to earth, put on flesh and be crucified by them, but you're better than I am. You don't deserve to do that because you've been in church for four years and you've read most of the New Testament. No, <laughs> no, come on. Jesus, time and again, his deciding factor was his compassion. That was a deciding factor. Look, Mark 930, Matthew 9.36. Look, he saw people who were hurting and he was moved with compassion. He was moved with compassion. Because he had a heart for people, he did what they needed. Right? And then he said something very interesting. In verse 37, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. People say, man, I just don't have anywhere to serve in church. No, 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 no. There's plenty of harvest. Just not a, you're not a worker. I mean, right? I mean, that's, that's what he said. All right? I'm just saying. People, you know, people don't want to be a worker. They want a platform. But they, they want the platform built on other people. That's the problem. God doesn't mind you being on a platform because your platform can't be other people. Right? And so if you're looking for other people to make you great, then you're looking at people as a platform instead of someone to be compassionate about. Right? This, this is just, Right? <clears throat> The, the love we have for people would compel us to serve them, right? Like at no point I've ever said, wow, that person smells a lot. I really should go have a conversation with him. It's going to enrich my life. No, but the love of God compels you to reach out to people, right? It's the love of God. <clears throat> and <clears throat> and uh, I promise to get you out of here by 1025. That's my, that's my promise to you. I will not get you out of here in five minutes. I will be going along today, just so you know. <clears throat> Let's just plan for it. Just be comfortable. Just be comfortable for a minute. And I want to talk about your qualification to minister. <clears throat> and uh, this was supposed to be the bulk of my message, so I may finish it next week. Actually, in two weeks. <clears throat> Write this down. Your transformation is your qualification for ministry. Your transformation is your qualification. In Galatians, he says, you are called to freedom. Don't let freedom... Don't turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. So, <clears throat> let's go back to our scripture, Acts 6.3. He says, brethren, the apostles call them all brothers. He unifies them as a group. Right? He doesn't say, hey, Hellenistic Jews and and hey, native Hebrews, no, brothers, right? Brothers. I'm not, he, he refused to identify their divisions as being real, right? <clears throat> so he says, brothers, he says, brothers, select among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, who we may put in charge of this task. Now, <clears throat> this is such an important scripture, I want to just... I want to sit here for a second because you need to hear this. <clears throat> now, in the past, how did they select leaders of the church? Now, the church being the temple. You had to be born into it. Had to have a certain education, right? Had to be the right lineage. You had to be the right age. You had to be approved by the priest, right? They had to inspect you. And after the certain age, if you were the right lineage and you had the right education, then you could be a minister. <clears throat> and there is no scripture that Jesus released that said that goes away. But when Jesus came, everything changed. And it's important that we see how much it changed. 
This is all they knew. All they knew was the law. All they knew was the, the history passed down from their forefathers. <clears throat> but they needed leaders. What did they do? They started viewing the scriptures, started viewing the teachings through the lens of the transformative experience of being born again and filled with the Spirit. That's how they viewed it. By being born again and filled with the Spirit of Christ, they began to look at things differently. And so now, the requirement by these guys who were born again and filled with the Spirit and are now seeking the Lord on what the church is supposed to do. I cannot, I'd like, speaking of prayer meetings, that's the prayer meeting I want to be in. I, like, when I get to heaven, I'm going to be like, take me to some of those prayer meetings. I want to see what those look like. While revival is sweeping across Jerusalem, and these guys are getting downloads from Holy Spirit on how they're supposed to lead the church. The, what they, like, that's where I want to be. Like, breaking tradition constantly, right? <clears throat> and so, <clears throat> they say to them, brothers, here's what I need you to look for in your leaders. First of all, they didn't say, here's what we're going to look for. They trusted the church of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit that was helping to shepherd <clears throat> to, to empower and inspire the believers to recognize the leaders among them. Now, right there is a complete flipping of the script, right? It's a complete departure from, from history. Everything changed with this. I want you. I want you. Now, they had to, they had to manage the offering and the money and the dispersion of the feeding of these widows. Now, they didn't say we need to, you need some people who are an accountant. Like, that would probably be a good skill to have, right? Like, the ability to account and track money, right? Like, that, pick out good food. That might be a good skill to have, right? When you say, if we were going to say, okay, money is coming in, and we have a lot of uh, widows, who do we put in charge of that? We say, well, we need some people, let's see, this person has an accounting degree, and this person is, is shown faithful with money, and and uh, these other people, well, they actually know about food, and, and these folks have been doing the feeding program, so that, that makes sense, so let's get these folks, and they say, well, that guy over there, he's actually a raging alcoholic. Okay, so maybe not him, but these other ones, like, right, you know what I mean? Like, this is how, but, 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 but the apostles, they didn't, they, they didn't use that, because they, they had a faith in Christ. Watch this. Here's what I want you to do. Oh, you got divisions? Here's what I need you to do. Find seven folks. First of all, you all got to know that they're good folks. Everybody agrees they're good folks. They're filled with the Spirit of Christ and wisdom, and we'll put them in charge. This, I mean, this just changed history. You see how this, this changed history. Now, all of a sudden, there's a church that has to rely on the Spirit of God that was released. Jesus said, hey, it's better than I go because I'm going to send him, and he's going to teach you all things you need to know. And we, we, Holy Spirit fails us so often because we're trusting him to fill in the gaps that we don't have, as opposed to trusting him to teach us what we need to know. So we built a whole house, except for this little area right here. We're like, okay, Holy Spirit, go ahead and fill in this area. He's like, yeah, no, I wouldn't have built that house at all had you consulted me in the beginning. We're like, oh, he failed me. No, actually, that isn't even your house. But does this make sense? Does this make sense? And so the apostles were like, we are getting how to lead an entire church by trusting him. We feel like you could feed some hungry people by trusting him. We're changing the course of history just by prayer and trusting him. 
If we can just get 70 of y'all to do something similar, I'm pretty sure you can feed some folks without division. Now, this is the second part. Like, it just is so transformational. So we have these two prejudiced groups against each other. He says, brothers, find seven people that you trust. So the apostles trusted Holy Spirit. He called them to unity and said, you're going to pray on this. Watch this. And they appointed Philip, Prochorius, Nanor. You know, I can't pronounce these names. You know why? All the names are Greek. There's not a single native Hebrew in that list. The congregation picked seven. Seven Hellenistic Jews. Over the offering to make sure all the widows are getting fed. Do you see the, you see the significance here? If you don't, let me break it down. <clears throat> Money is coming in to feed people. Let's say we're in 1950 Southern America. And let's say there's a church, and the money is coming in, and the church is very divided, and they say, and the black people are saying, the white people aren't actually, well, let's just say it this way. Say there's a school board in 1950, and let's say the black folks are saying, hey, our schools aren't nearly as good as the white schools. Fictitionally, we'll talk here, right? Because real Christians would never do that, right? And so they say, why don't you all get together? I'm just trusting the spirit of Christ is going to be with you and find seven people. And this southern school district puts seven black people in charge of it. Only Christ. Only Christ. Only the spirit of God. Only the spirit of God can do this. This, this, this is what it looks like when people are led by the spirit of Christ. This is what it looks like. Come on up, Mike. This is what it looks like. I'm going to end right here because I feel like it's a good word. I have another point that I think is pretty good too, but I'll just preach it later. <clears throat> I think it's a pretty good point in itself, and I could yell about that one a lot. So, And so here's what I'm at. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> I am not a politician, right? I'm not a social worker. I'm not a, a, I'm not a, a Twitter, Twitter hero, right? There's a lot of Twitter heroes these days. Like their thumbs are amazing. The rest of their life, who knows, right? <clears throat> I don't know what I'm doing. I'm sorry, Corey. <sighs> I do know this, <clears throat> that Jesus expected us to be moved with compassion and love. <clears throat> and those people you hate, Jesus might be with them. Historically, that's who he's with. Historically, he's with the hated. Historically, he's with the poor. Historically, he's with the uneducated. Historically, he's with the moocher. Historically, he's with the folks who've got nothing. That's historically who Jesus is with. That's who he went after. I mean, he could have been with the Pharisees and Sadducees, people who had it all together. He didn't. He didn't. He went with a bunch of thieves, and he put them in charge of the church. Corrupt government employees. Those are his, that's, that's who he built the church with, right? And, and, and that's the people I'm guessing most of the folks who are being robbed hated. And Jesus is with the hated. 
me, except for me, of course, right? He's with me, and, you know, that's what we like to think about it, right? But the folks I hate, that's when I'm hating someone, he's compelling me to go there. He's not compelling them to be, you know, killed. And so, as Christians, we have to get out of the business of deciding who's right and who's wrong. And we need to get in the business of what's really going on in my heart and allowing Holy Spirit to deal with that. Right? Because we can all come up with reasons to hate and be justified in it. Most people we hate deserve to be hated, according to us. We've already had a trial, we've introduced the evidence, and we've convicted them. They deserve to be hated. Problem is, they were made in Christ's image. And he called us to love them. And he called, if we really hate them, then we should go serve them. Watch who you hate, that's who you're called to serve. You might want to hate people you like. You know what I mean? Like, if you had any power over that. This is the power of the gospel. This is the power of the gospel. Why don't you stand with me? We'll pray. <clears throat> Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I, um, <clears throat> Lord, <clears throat> first I pray for us. Be there any division among us, any prejudice among us? starting with me, Lord, I pray that you would deal radically with my heart in every prejudice that is blocking love. Every racial prejudice, every cultural prejudice, every political prejudice. Lord, in prejudices, I don't, I don't even recognize. Lord, if anybody in here had a gender prejudice, Father, I pray. I pray that we would, that you would just be so loving that your love would transform our heart from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. That we would be a generation that radically demonstrated love. Love in, in love for love's sake, not love for shifting society or shifting politics or shifting finances. No, love because we're called to love. Not love with an ulterior motive to grow a church, but love just because we love. Just that we would be compelled compassion would compel us to love. Father, I pray over every heart in this room that uh, just a deliverance from offense, a deliverance from bitterness, a supernatural ability to walk in forgiveness. And Father, I pray for the peace that comes with knowing that I don't have to judge anybody. That you said you would do that after they cross over. You've relieved me of any responsibility to judge people. And I get to love. And while we're praying right here, uh, we had a word of knowledge in the service that someone was going to be delivered from addiction today. And so right now I even pray that you would begin that work in hearts. But I'm also going to call out a couple other things. I think someone with uh, some sort of headache disorder. I don't know if it's migraines or what, but I feel it specifically behind my left eyeball. Uh, and, I'm, I'm, and I don't believe that's me. Uh, and if it's not your left and you're like, oh man, it's behind my right, you're facing me and so my left is your right. <clears throat> so just take it. Take that word for you. Amen? 
And so I just believe God wants to heal bodies. If I can have the prayer team come forward this morning, I believe the Lord wants to heal bodies, but He also wants to deliver from addiction. And um, some of us, the hardest thing to come and answer the altar call would be to say, man, I just got some offenses in my heart that have just gotten a little bit too strong a hold on me, and I would just like to say that out loud to somebody, and I'd like somebody to pray for me, right? We're not talking about a counseling session. We're not talking about, um, you know, confession. Uh, but the Bible does say confess your sins one to another that you may be healed. And some of us need our heart healed. Amen? Amen. So put your hand on your heart. Father, today and this week, let us love people that we previously hated. Give us opportunities to overcome this hatred like you're so good to bring it up again, but that you would bring it up again. Because we want to walk free and we want to be conduits of your love and grace. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Will you give a clap off for the Lord, if you would, please?